Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is in full swing across all parts of the business world, our personal lives, everywhere else. And we like to have conversations here to think about where is this right now? Where is it going? What's it mean to us? And I think it's also been fun to see how we used to talk about our personal lives, our business lives, and they're uh, intertwining right now. And I think we're going to have some fun today talking about a business that uh, I think many of us in our personal lives enjoy, but the business right now, and this business is not enjoying what it's going through right now so much. So one of our favorites uh, guests here, Tony Uphoff, he's been the CEO of ThomasNet, which Tony and uh, the team just sold to a big public company. Um, Tony's been a CEO at other places. He's now really helping uh, lots of different people sort of figure out what they want to do. He's been an advisor in a lot of ways. Tony, it's great to see you. Welcome back. Uh, it is, uh, it's always fun getting your views on what's going on in this crazy world of ours. Hey, Bob, thanks so much. And I, I think my favorite part of preparing to appear on your show is the email exchange back and forth with, with you. And then I also think our pre-podcast, we should just turn the recorder on because oftentimes we get deep into a discussion. And I think, oh, I should save that until we turn the camera on. But anyways, great to see you, my friend. You too, Tony. You too is great. Um, so, so much has been written in the last, I guess it's about six days since the news started to come out about Netflix. But um, I would love to get sort of your, your first impressions on this, right? Because there's the data angle, there's the yeah. growth angle, there's the unicorn <laughs> angle, there's the customer angle. And then, but that big thing there of, um, you know, what happened? What went on here? So Tony, I'd love to get your top of yeah. mind thoughts on this. And Bob, like like everybody, and you, you know, you intimated this in your in your setup here. You know, certainly I, like so many of us, I'm a huge fan. I, I'm a loyal subscriber and my my family and I probably, you know, use the Netflix streaming service, I would say daily or or, or darn close to it. So huge fan of it. I've also been a longtime fan of the company, and I'll tell you, give you a little bit of background on that. You know, go, dating back to the red envelopes, and you know where they'd send you the the DVDs. But as you'll remember, many of your listeners might not know this. For a four year period, I actually was recruited to take over a business information unit that focused on the entertainment industry, and it included assets like the Hollywood Reporter, Backstage, Hollywood Creative Directory. So I, I got a little bit of an inside baseball view of that era of Netflix. And I well remember them evangelizing about this idea of streaming and people openly laughed. And to give you a sense of perspective, this was in the 2003 to roughly 2007 timeframe. And during that period of time, I can remember when you know I, I had come out of information week and other environments, I didn't know anything about the entertainment industry. So when they trotted me out as a divisional president to meet with entertainment people, I would talk about technology because that's what I understood, particularly technology's impact on business. And when I'd mentioned streaming, you know, executives would kind of oh, you know politely chuckle and they'd say, Tony, DVD sales. The, the, the first year I would talk about this were $22 billion a year, not rentals, sales. Box office was $10 billion a year. So they were literally printing money through the sale of DVDs. The idea that this was going to go streaming and all these things, the technology was around. Yeah. The ubiquity of, of bandwidth wasn't, 
right? So the, the idea that people would have that level of bandwidth to their homes wasn't quite there yet, as you well know. So anyways, with that as a little bit of a, of a backdrop, uh, you know, I, I was a huge fan watching and continue to be a huge fan of watching the, the company as it, as it grew and developed. And I think there's a couple of threads I might pull on that might fuel our discussion here. I think, you know, this is a, a data darling in an industry that really isn't known for its data. Let's call the industry filmed entertainment. A lot of gut feel, a lot of subjective, a lot of artistic license and that kind of a thing. And so when Netflix really started to accelerate its growth, I think it was the money ball moment for the filmed entertainment industry, right? For a lot of executives. And I think, I'd like to think in some cases, a very positive reflection of perhaps where the industry could start to go. And, and I think that, you know, that was really remarkable. I think the part of the story that's probably not well understood is as the company started to post these remarkable growth uh, metrics, they used the instrument of public equity to outduel anybody in terms of content investment. And I think that's the part that is, you know, the average person, myself included, if I didn't have a little bit of an inside baseball view of how Hollywood works and how Netflix, you know, has been to a certain extent a disruptor, the scale of investments they were making in content were unbelievable. And it came by at a time when the traditional studio system and the business model of that studio system, a decline of traditional box office, the cable cutting uh, or card cutting in traditional, you know, let's call it terrestrial and cable television. So I think long way of saying, I think it was a fascinating time that Netflix rose up into the marketplace. And, and to a great extent, part of their success was they built a moat through the use of capital investments into filmed entertainment. They just literally traditional studios other than, you know, perhaps, you know, Apple who's still relatively new or Amazon who's still relatively new in the filmed entertainment industry, and then maybe Disney, but the rest just simply couldn't keep pace, Bob, in terms of investing for talent and, you know, for, for the IP of filmed entertainment. Uh, Tony, wild, wild stuff there. And, you know, we think about this sometimes, I guess, um, you know, somebody of my vintage, when you think back about business cycles and change, you know, it's decades, multiple decades, I'm like, this is not that long. And it's so funny to think they started off shipping DVDs, right, by, you know, overnight delivery. And then, as you said, this, this remarkable thing that went on with streaming, they also figured, how do I get into the content business? So, you know, moving up that value chain, getting ultimately closer to the customer and uh, yeah, like we said, you know, their, their growth rates, their revenue, the market cap, the brand name, the global yeah. recognition, and it just became a regular part of so many people's lives. Like, uh, have you seen this on uh, on Netflix? And kids liked it, adults liked it, everybody in between. It just seemed golden. And then, you know, bam, this thing happened last week, or that was disclosed last week, and it just seemed no. The, what Netflix stumbled this and that, you know, you could see that maybe if it had been a certain revenue number, they grew yeah. 7% instead of 39% of their profit was off a little, but customer subscriptions, that was the thing, Tony, of all the stuff that you might've thought where they could stumble and, you know, stumble in a big way. That was a, to me, that was just a shocker. So it wasn't just like, ha ha, big company. It was 
to me, totally yeah. unexpected. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's the, what's the old adage on Wall Street? Bring me good news, bring me bad news, don't bring me surprises, <laughs> right? You know, and I think that's clearly, you know, you lose $50 billion. I can barely say that with a straight face. <laughs> $50 billion in valuations, like, oh, I mean, that is just, you know, absolutely stunning. And I think the... You know, you, you have to, you know, as a as a as a business leader and a and a and a viewer and, and fan of, of business, you have to look at that and kind of ask the question of what did they know and when did they know it? And I think there's a there's a whole dynamic of that. And I would find, Bob, in my opinion, and I want to be clear, I'm giving an opinion. I have no inside knowledge of this. I would find it hard to believe that they didn't see this coming. Now, why they didn't disclose it. Um, and and exactly what happened. Maybe that's a story that ultimately gets told. But the swing and miss, you know, this is a, a subscription decline. Yeah. It's, it's not, gee, we thought we were going to grow by X percent of subscribers and it, it was X minus that we grew. This was actually a decline. And from what I can see, Bob, I believe it's the first decline they've seen in some 10 to 12 years. You know, so it's, it's a, a pretty distinctive thing. How, how that wasn't well understood and I'd, I'd, or at least reported on, I'd link that to something else, Bob, that you and myself and many of the other folks that are involved with acceleration economy that connects into many of the things that you do. We talk about this era of data and you know, more isn't necessarily better. The other aspect about it is, I think what I see a lot, and, and I've been a big advocate for you know, training and, and, and understanding at a deeper level in business with the companies that I work with, which is applying probabilistic thinking to data. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to, you know, we're awash in data and I've got more data than I can possibly deal with. And I've got it coming in every angle. I've got MPS scores, I've got subscriptions, I've got revenues, I've got profits, I've got competitive market share, I've got total available market, I've got all these things. But at the end of the day, if my objective is to hit the numbers I said I was going to hit, i.e. public markets, and or I have growth objectives that I've tied the business to, what's the probability that I'm going to hit, miss, or exceed? And if you can't kind of say, hey, I've got a better than 75% shot that we're going to miss here, and that's probabilistic thinking. You likely need to raise your hand at that stage and say, hey, gang, we got a problem. You know, not sure yet why, but we're going to miss the number that we anticipated we were, you know, we were going to hit out there. So long way to the to the point, Bob. I, I again I have no inside knowledge, and I'm not here to be a critic of you know the the, the team, Reed Hastings and Ted Sorensen, you know, all the, the folks at Netflix. I think they're brilliant at what they do. And I think this is a company that's going to continue to be successful for many, many years. But I do think it 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 begs the question of A, did they see this coming? And if not, why not? And if they did see it coming, coming, what what kind of probabilistic thinking or systems or alerts are they using to manage the business? Because um, it's, it's, you know, this is a significant swing and a miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony, you know, the, um, I loved how you put that about, you know, the, the data is one thing, to have the data, to get it in the hands of the right people, but then those people have to do something with, right? You've got to be able to look at that and say, you know, as you said, the probabilistic uh, rationale for making one decision or another, take this action or take some other action. So 
in something I wrote about this morning about the, the whole thing with Netflix and the, you know, the applicability to any sort of business anywhere, you know, unicorn or otherwise is um, if you, if we begin, especially in these sort of crazy fast paced days, you begin to lose touch with your customers and think yeah. of what's going on or that the customers owe you something and they, they really don't. Um, but whatever, all went into this, uh, how Netflix either did not have the, the sensors out of the market telling them, mm, it's not just going to be, we're not going to make the big number, we're going to lose subscribers. Yep. So did they not have that data coming in? And I'd say, shame on them. Or did, as you might suppose, they did have the data coming in and chose to either say, well, uh, maybe it's, it's a blip, it's going to change. Uh, you know, it couldn't happen to us. Even if it does, we're still Netflix and, you know, we'll, we'll be, we'll ride this out. Well, so it, what, a, what a lesson, Tony. Yeah. And Bob, you know, it, it's interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, this is a classic example where the equity markets can influence consumer sentiment. So, so, so think about this company is trying to signal the equity markets with, with what they do. Hey, we've had a problem with people sharing passwords. We're going to crack down on that. That's not a value proposition to customers. They're signaling, they're virtue signaling or, or business signaling to the equity markets. You know, they're they're saying, hey, we're, you know, we, we think there's more price elasticity. We're going to raise prices. That's not a customer statement. You know, good, better, and different. You need to raise prices in a business, but that's signaling to the equity markets. However, you're signaling to public equity markets, which means your customer and your consumer, here's the same thing as the equity markets here. And I, I'm not suggesting that's what's happened here, Bob, but I do think, you know, headline after headline of new show, they, they perhaps didn't create, but they were really the one that scaled the idea of binge watching where, you know what, you like House of Cards, here you go. If you want to spend the next 48 hours watching House of Cards, and that was really the first, you know, we all grew up on the idea of episodic filmed entertainment, whether it be television or movies, obviously. And, and that was kind of a new concept. And those were consumer value propositions that at the time seemed almost too good to be true. It's like all you can eat buffet and, you know, I, wow, how did this and 24 hours and, you know, whatever, whatever the heck it is. So I, I do think it's interesting listening to you describe this, Bob, I think the, the, the complexity of managing a growth business today, and particularly one that is scaling through the unbelievable powers of cloud-based technology that allows for the you know, unprecedented scale, right? These numbers that we're throwing around are still just remarkable numbers. But at the same point in time, using the equity markets to fuel some of that growth, you've got an interesting balancing act of you know, am I speaking to customers and consumers and that's really myopic, my myopic focus or at times do I take my eye off that ball and I start to overmanage the equity markets um, and or other parts of the ecosystem that are important but less visible and frankly less interesting to my customer. You know, the average customer, I, you know, geeks like you and me and others are into what's happening at Netflix and what's it trading at and how does that relate to their strategy? I, you know, out of their 200 million subscribers, I don't think the average one is really paying that close of attention to that stuff, you know? We're smarter than we are. Yeah, right, for but sure. Just ignore that and watch the show. Well, yeah. you know, um, 
early in this conversation, one of the things you mentioned was Netflix, very astute, clever, strategic use of equity markets to fund the rise of content and programming and doing stuff that other people just didn't have the wherewithal to do. And then they had to play catch up. But so you got first mover status, you got them out in the lead. And, you know, again, maybe it's that something came in there. I think so much as you and I have talked about the, the, the need for leaders, especially CEOs, yep. to lead above all else is the culture. What do we think? What do we believe? How do we avoid getting into these ruts where we let, you know, some of those false gods get in front of what's really yep. important here? And yep. I just think something went on there uh, of this magnitude. You know, could it have been a year ago that they began yep. to see, you know, certain indicators here? And Tony, that's what I just think is so fascinating that Every business today, for all the challenges the leaders face about keeping your company, your people going, keep them motivated on this. If you don't put the customer at the center of all those decisions and what's happening here, then you run a chance of, you know, banging into something like this and saying, oh, my God, I never thought that would happen. Well, today's stuff's happening that we never thought would happen. You bet. Well, and, and I'd, I'd add something you've been talking about lately, Bob, too, which is so you, you have your company culture. In this case, we're talking about Netflix and how does it operate? Put aside for a minute, anytime I see business leaders that are writing how to manage tutorials and books and publishing them, I always think that's a, a, a recipe for disaster. It's like, wait till you're retired and you do that. So you know, keep running the company and keep your eye on the ball. You're not as smart as you think you are. Just keep doing it. I, I think there's, there's that component to it. But all kidding aside, there's that culture, but you've been talking a lot about the changing nature of a partner ecosystem in the cloud world. I think within your culture, you have to also have respect for and understand the cultures of the industry, the broader industry and ecosystem you're playing in. So you're probably familiar, Bob, with the television show and website called TMZ. And so it's kind of an insider view with a lot of humor and kind of gossipy about the entertainment industry. What most people don't know is TMZ stands for the 30 mile zone. And this is the height of kind of parochial perspective here that in 30 miles, AKA Hollywood, California, that's, that's the way a lot of people feel about the world of filmed entertainment. So they use the, and, and it's a bit of a dated reference, but they use that acronym of TMZ, meaning kind of, you know, really inside. And, and I think implicit in your observation, Bob, about the culture is perhaps hubris setting in. And look, you know, we've seen this movie before. Companies get this, I'm suddenly immortal. And I can, you know, and, and whoops, you know, they, they, they learn the hard way that they're not. But I also wonder if there's a little component that could play out. Is it Schadenfreude, where you know, you know, people, uh, you know, there's a certain jealousy and, and a bit of glee when uh, when a, a competitor or colleague stumbles. Um, I think you know the, the the perspective I'm getting is that there's people in Hollywood that are a, a, a little happy to see this happen. That this has taken Netflix down a peg or two. I don't know, Bob. You know. It's gossipy and fun, I guess, to talk about at some level. I don't know where that plays in here, but I'm linking it to your observation in the cloud marketplace that the nature of what is a partner, how do I work with partners, and how do partners benefit by working with me, I think is changing. And technology oftentimes changes the way those things operate. I wonder if there's something in there as well, because you can't just thumb your nose 
at this you know legacy industry and suggest that it's 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 out of touch because a lot of that ecosystem has to participate for Netflix to continue to be successful. Yeah, Tony is well, really, really excellent uh, observation there, and I think. You know, one of the things that struck me so much, and I guess this is in the last three or four years, really accelerating in the last one or two years, is, you know, the first 30, 40 years of the tech industry that it followed a very simple, so almost like, you know, yeah. Newtonian model. Vendors made it, partners sold it, customers bought it. And today you get customers pairing up with a vendor, customers yep. with a partner, partner with a vendor, all sorts of things. And in some cases, the partner and the customer make some pretty cool piece of IP and the vendor sales organization sells it, but has no hand in the making. So um, all these, uh, you know, real simple cookie cutter blocks like this that, that went along, they don't hold anymore. So I, I think that that's, that's profound here. Now, how that plays in the world of what Netflix does, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but, you know, we all have to understand that whatever, uh, that dynamic is today, it's very likely going to be real different a year from now and incredibly different two or three years from now, you know, just as, as uh, Netflix has experienced over time. But that's why I think the one uh, cons- constant in all of this, the one consistent here is that, you know, your customers ultimately are the people yeah. who are going to, you know, determine this or not. And Tony, I, I have to say, you you touched on a couple of these things. I believe in the, all the stuff I read about the Netflix, what the company said after it, they had four, um, they gave four bits of rationale for the the subscriber drop-off. One was, they said, Russia, we lost 700,000. So blame Russia is kind of a popular theme these days. Yep. You know, that I think there's some credibility to that. You touched on the one about the price increase. Like, did anybody think about this? Or did they, you know... <laughs> Was it a surprise that you raised? Hey, did, did, Not everybody liked did it. Did anybody test this idea of a price increase? <laughs> yeah. And the I thought this stuff about the account sharing, you know, perfectly valid. Netflix might sit back and say, hey, we're getting money for one, but it's being used by three. So, but instead of going in there and saying, you know, we're going to kick their ass, you know, we'll get them in line. Why doesn't, you know, there's such geniuses there. Why don't you come up with some new model that lets the consumers right. have more of what they want, but in return, there's also some additional revenue back this way. But instead of yeah. that, you know, as you said, but uh, I thought my favorite in terms of the, 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 the degree of lameness of the excuse is worse even than, you know, uh, well, we raised price and we're surprised that not everybody loved it was they said increased competition thinking, holy crap, you know, I, I thought we, we got in this business because there was no competition. And all of a sudden we got to, we got to fight every day to, to win. I, I, uh. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to your point. I think, it's, it is one of these things as though we need reminders, but isn't it just astounding where day in and day out, we're reminded most of the time the hard way that if you don't keep the customer at the center of your business, and I don't mean doing a quarterly survey, I don't mean doing an MPS survey, I mean really keeping pace with what is it that the customer are their tastes changing? Are their demographics changing? Or are they adopting a competitive offering that might have an advantage over mine? Are they price sensitive? Is there elasticity to that? Um, you know, that, that myopic focus, Bob, and you talk about this a lot. And I think the technology today allows us to, to keep pace with customers, 
maybe not outpace them, but keep pace with customers in ways that, boy, 10 years ago, Bob, we, we only dreamed of doing. And I think if there's, if there's a, a heavy criticism to be lobbied, it's that you know any of the excuses or any of the rationales, and some legit, as you pointed out, somehow one of the world's most valuable and, and, and most uh, you know, scalable companies ever created right, lost touch with customer sentiment and customer needs. And I think that's the real story here. And again, it'll be told in various ways. Does it go back to the culture? You know, you and I have, have had ringside seats um, as technology disrupted virtually every market. And we have seen new companies come in and go through that immortal phase where they thought they could do anything. And then they had to stumble to kind of, and then regain their footing and, and continue on. I believe this is a stumble, um, but it's a big one. And it, it comes at a time where, you know, this is, you know, this was one of the famous FANG, F-A-A-N-G, the N of FANG companies, a, you know, a, a founding unicorn company, you know, the first data-driven filmed entertainment company. So I, I think there's a lot of... Um, irony that this was Netflix that stumbled this way. But again, I'm, I'm over talking the very straightforward point. And I don't want you, you know, uh, your listeners to, to, uh, to, to, to miss this, which is that myopic focus on customers today is as important as it's ever been. A, because they have more choice. Guess what? There are competitors just streaming out there. B, they might be more sensitive to what you think are small movements. Small movement could be price, small movement could be availability, small movement could be a new channel of distribution. Small movement could be, hey, you can't share it with your brother or sister or your, for your cousin, share the password. Those may be very logical in a boardroom, looking at the dollars and cents of it, but without proper testing and vetting and, and you know, engaging with customers, boy, those could be really dangerous, really dangerous you know, decisions that you ultimately make. Uh, Tony, you know, it's interesting, those, those great lessons uh, and those, those great bits of sort of advice that a lot of business leaders could use. We're, we're looking forward in a couple months to sharing those at Cloud Wars Expo in San Francisco on June 28, 29, and 30. I don't know if the guy's available, but he, and he's not in the entertainment field, but um, one of my favorites about this thing of sort of losing touch a little with what's going on um, was the baseball player, Jose Canseco. Now, he had a number of really, really, really good years. But, you know, for whatever reason, over time, uh, you know, his, his uh, production diminished and he got signed by some team in spring training. Nobody else seemed to want him, but they signed him and he didn't do much there, uh, didn't report in real good shape. And within one of the first days of spring training, they cut him. And uh, he held a press conference afterward and he said, I'm really surprised on this. He said, I didn't know that I was going to be evaluated on my performance. And uh, <laughs> reputation's a fine thing. What we've done in the past is a fine thing, but it has to be, you know, put in its proper place. And performance, <laughs> I think, is what most people really care about. So, um, you know, maybe we could get Jose Canseco to come up and talk a little bit about that. And, you know, what went into that? What has he learned? What did he learn about that, uh, you know, reputation versus performance? 
But Tony, it's something everybody really, really, really has to get. And I think you put it so well a moment ago about that, that, you know, all the data, all the insights, all the feedback, all the NPS, blah, 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 all these different things. You got to have that, you know, day to day to day, real reaction with them from the top of the company. Yeah. Down, uh, or yeah. Else, you know, I, I, I love that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to reach out to Jose Canseco and see if we can, uh, uh, you know, get him to attend. But uh, all kidding aside, one of the main reasons I was excited to be involved with Cloud Wars Expo um, was because I, I think it's high time for a different type of event. And you're, you're underscoring it a little bit, right? And, and the underscoring is this idea of the objective of all business is to manage growth. That, that's obvious. It's the how do you manage growth and how do you accelerate growth? How do you unlock it? Today, obviously, many of those roads lead to scalable technology. And I, I think having a fresh take on producing an event where you have practitioners speaking to practitioners, you have hands-on interactive sessions where people can really learn and understand these issues, as well as seeing the next generation of cloud companies that are gonna define digital transformation, practical advice about what are the differences between different cloud platforms and what does that mean to your business? As you know, Bob, I, I've had a lifetime uh, a career of producing business information. I have consciously avoided attaching my name or being involved to a live event for the better part of a decade because I thought the genre of trade shows and events was pretty tired. I'm really fired up about this one. And I, I just think it's time that we learn how to produce events for business leaders where they can come away with the tools, the frameworks, the connections, the inspiration to grow their businesses or accelerate the growth of their businesses. You know, the objective is not, oh, I, I learned about new technology. The objective is I wanna find the ways to harness change by using technology to accelerate the growth of my company. So I, I, I'm pretty fired up to be a part of it. And uh, I would encourage your listeners to check it out, June 28th through the 30th at Moscone Center in San Francisco. Yeah, Tony, thanks. I, I could not possibly have said it better myself. That was a great idea for it. And the only thing I'd add to it is that, you know, all those practical insights. And I think that the mindset are almost like the aspirational view that we're taking on this, right? I think in the past, the what John Seaford calls, you know, sort of the snore and bore trade shows. Yeah too much about come buy this one you know look at all the stuff buy some servers yep. buy some networking and we're trying to more focus on this thing about in these times these attitudes of possibility and potential and optimism and opportunity and innovation and growth those are all great to have and everybody wants them how do you get from where you are to yep. those things or how do you uh, leverage all those uh, aspirational qualities to get where you need to go. And this uh, Cloud Wars Expo is going to be the fusion of those things. And, you know, I've been referring to it, Tony, as the physical celebration of what we talk about all the yeah. time here at Cloud Wars and you write about. So um, thank you for that uh, great overview of it. That's what we're going to try to deliver. And um, uh, will you be there? I will indeed. I'm going to be uh, a part of the CXO track and uh, leading some sessions to really try to help people do some of the things that we talk about on this show, Bob. What, you know, that, that interesting intersection between 
you know, the, the people product process of business and, and perhaps an underpinning there of, of how to adapt cultures to some of these new technologies, how to harness the power of it. You know, no need to tell you, these are times of, of you know, I don't wanna to be too buzzy here, but really remarkable change, perhaps unprecedented change, particularly the pace of it. You can't have that though, without having the other side of the coin is these are remarkable, perhaps unprecedented times of opportunity. And so I, I know for years I've looked at, you know, how can you provide the roadmap, the frameworks, the tools to help people harness that? And I think to, to John's point and your paraphrasing of it, I think a lot of trade shows got kind of caught up in this sort of, you know, it's, it's just a simple sales pitch and that's all it really is. And it, you might as well go to the local mall and there's not a lot of value to it. The other thing is, you know, a lot of the conferences got a little caught up in having journalists try to do aha, gotcha, interviews of executives and stuff like that. And again, if I'm sitting in the audience of this and my hair is on fire trying to figure out how to grow my business, you know, it doesn't really help me much. I get back to the office and people ask me, what, what did I learn? And I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it was time well spent. So I think this should be exciting and fun. And, and I think to your point, I like the term celebration because I think there's so much vibrancy to what's happening in these markets. And I think the opportunity to be around practitioners, learn from them, um, share ideas and enthusiasm for that, all towards a goal of, hey, you should, you should be focused on accelerating growth in a, in a market and in a time like this. And the tools, the technologies that you see from these larger companies are available to you too, regardless of the size of company that you're running. Yeah. Well, Tanya, fantastic. Thanks a million for that. And uh, to all of you folks, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. If you're interested, Cloud Wars Expo, as Tony said, June 28, 29, and 30 at the Moscone Center in San Francisco. We hope to see you there. Tony, thanks a million. Always a pleasure. Always enjoy our talks, Bob. Good stuff. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.